question for us as we start, because one of the best things about small gatherings like this is we get to like interact, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought at first you were telling me like, oh no, it's not over your nose. It is over my nose. It's going on. What we live in. Um, so I want to I want to ask us a, a probing question for you to think about, and then for a, a handful of us to actually share. So when here's your question: When or think of a time when you needed to convince someone of something. <laughs> There are probably some like hyper volatile things that you've had to try and convince people of over the last two years. Um, like we're way divided, and so it feels like there's there's like pitchforks and torches involved and some convincing we've had to do. Maybe you don't feel like you need to go there, um, but most of our life consists of convincing people of stuff, right? If you're a parent. You're constantly trying to convince your kids of things. If you're a teacher, you're trying to convince people of things. If you, in your workplace, whatever it might be, as a pastor, I feel like I'm only trying to convince people of things. Like, we're trying to convince ourselves of things. Um, what's something that comes to mind as you think of that? We're gonna let like three to five people share, so yeah. Um, convincing Chris and his family into the common pillow. <laughs> <laughs> One bad <that> argument. <laughs> love that. Love that. Love that. Love that. Yeah. yeah, let's like, who in the room did you have to convince himself? <laughs> Doesn't need to be that. Doesn't need to be that. <laughs> That is a great one. What else? What else? Have you had to convince someone of something? Try to convince Kater that it wasn't a good idea. And then try to convince you that convincing Caleb it wasn't a good idea was a bad idea. Yeah, we can go around and around and around. Anything not in that cul-de-sac? <laughs> uh, I convinced my old bosses that we should use automated data collection. There you go. What did you like? What was that argument like? Uh, I showed a graph of automated data versus and entered data and showed them how little correlation there was. And I was like, the data that you're doing right now is basically useless. So yeah. We should, yeah. So we should. Do it better. So information yeah. was presented. Yeah. Right? Information was presented. That's great. Yep. We need to try and present truth and facts to people in order to convince them of things. So another example. Yes. Convincing Elliot I didn't feel candy. Convincing Elliot. The person sitting right next to him. That he didn't yeah, feel his <laughs> it's an ongoing convincing process. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yep. Yep. What else? Yes. I'm a surgeon, and limb salvage. Sometimes you need to lose a limb. Ooh. Facts. 
But it's emotional. Yeah. yeah. Trying to tell you that has to go or I can't save your life. Wow. So that's a, that's a tough discussion yeah. on multiple sides. Oh my gosh, yeah. We just dumped into the deep end. <laughs> Stealing candy. <laughs> this is life or death, right? But that is, that's so much of loving people is coming to them with hard news and realizing the breadth of all that it involves. In doing that. So, wow. Wow, yes. Really important. Any other examples? Inventing students um, that they're writing Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking as a yeah, yep, as a TA, a teacher. Yeah, convincing people they're not quite where they imagine themselves to be. That could be a hard conversation in our day and age where, you know, just what naturally comes is what is great and self-improvement is still important. Yeah. That's great. So I think one of the, the underlying threads in the midst of this, there's obviously truth that we're trying to compel people with. There's emotion, realizing their experience of coming into that, that kind of reality of a new truth that maybe they haven't ex accepted or lived in light of. But there's also an underlying motive piece in the midst of that. Because I think about Connor's example with information, presenting new data. Data and information and truth that we can that we can try and convince people of points in a particular direction, right? So in the midst of a company, maybe it's profit. Maybe the underlying value is how can we become more profitable and more efficient and thus more profitable. Um, values under uh, lie underneath are convincing. Right? We want something. We want something for other people, or we want something for a community. And so we try and convince one another of something. If we aren't trying to convince one another of something, then we don't really have much that we're valuing that we need to, to convince people toward, right? What we're going to look into today, 2 Corinthians 8, is the Apostle Paul trying to convince a church of something. And I think it's going to be really insightful because one of the reasons this Sunday is always a really important one in the midst of a calendar year is because it's between Christmas and New Year's. We came from this receiving a gift from God and remembering the best gift of the giving of God's Son for us. And we're pivoting to look at a new year. And so chances are, if you haven't already uh, looked at the new year and had at least some thought of looking ahead to its newness and wanting to, to change or wanting to grow or wanting to reflect uh, chances are you're going to be making that pivot. Maybe you're like me and it's like the middle of January and you're like, oh my gosh, it's the new year. What, what was my resolution or what do I want to actually address this year? Um, and we're, we need to be convinced because here's the thing. Over the last two years, we've had so many people trying to convince us of stuff. And if we follow Jesus, if we're Christians, we have a voice and a set of values that we need to be convinced of in the midst of all those other voices, right? And we're going to see how Paul tries to convince the Corinthian church to do something and try and learn what we can from that. Does that sound good? All right, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, as we open your word, would you convince us? We thank you that we're not alone, 
uh, that we don't need to just logic ourselves into something, that we don't need to just wrestle our own emotions to the ground and pin ourselves or one another, but that we have your Holy Spirit as our helper. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us see Jesus, the Son of God, given for us that we remembered yesterday and throughout Advent? Um, help us see what the incarnation invites us to embrace as a mode of living. Uh, we need you, and we invite you to speak to us right now. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> amen. All right. Um, dang. I was hoping... We don't have verse numbers on here. I was hoping to just go around and read a verse out loud from, from the page. Why don't we just do a sentence, all right? Can we do that? Everybody have, have a page. We're going to read the complete sentences using this as a, as a guide in the ESMB. So if we could go around, why don't we all stand? We've been embracing this practice of standing as we read the scriptures on Sundays out of this kind of reverence and remembrance for what we're actually getting to engage with, which we believe is the word of God. So, um, let's see here. Sarah, would you mind kicking us off? And we can just kind of go around this way. We'll go, we'll go there, and then Daniel will read front row, and we'll go like that. Sentences. So just read until a period, and then stop. Sound good? Yep. Masks are on, so just use your outdoor voices. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that... Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now finish doing it as well. Let your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Four. Oh, we'll go around this way. I realize I wasn't clear about which way this would go. For I do not mean that others should be eased by, and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should... That's the wrong sentence. Oh, 12, uh, which you don't have on yours. You shouldn't be reading off of this. For if the readiness is there, right? Yeah. If the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. Okay, can you go next? Yeah. For I do not mean that others should be eased in you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs, so that at their abundance, you may supply your needs. So that, yeah. 
this church in Corinth of. The letter is called 2 Corinthians because it's the second letter that we have from the Apostle Paul to this church at Corinth. And there's this thing going on in here that, unless we have some background knowledge, might not quite make sense to us. But what Paul is trying to do is convince this church in Corinth, which was in southern Greece, um, ancient, the ancient kind of map, southern Greece, uh, that they should give financially to the needs of the church in Jerusalem who had, for whatever reason, history has made it a little murky on us, they have become impoverished. They've become destitute. Um, the Christian church in Jerusalem, there had been a famine several years earlier. We don't quite know whether or not it would still be the economic effects of that famine, but there was need in the global church at the time that Paul was rallying support for financially. So this is specifically about finances, and we all should be considering finances ourselves. It's a real key indicator of our hearts, but there's something bigger that I want us to consider at the same time of which finances are a part, right? I think that we need to be convinced, looking ahead to 2021, about where we will find joy. Because... 2021, there are a few things that the world has been preaching at us, 2020 and 2021. You should be afraid. Um, the New York Times had an article last week that was called uh, Worry Burnout. What is it and how to avoid it? Worry Burnout is basically you're constantly afraid and headlines continue to make you afraid and you just at the end of the day just stop feeling anything at all because this state of fear that you can't escape, um, actually like your cortisol levels and all of these different biological things and psychological things are going on that you just feel so deflated and immovable. We've been in one of the most cripplingly fearful moments that certainly I've lived through and I trust that any of us as a society have lived through. Um, fear has been preached at us. Um, pain has been felt viscerally over the last couple of years. We're in a global pandemic. Um, political division and relational pain and division, hostility has been experienced and felt among us. Um, maybe a more subtle one too has been a result of the, the, the fear and the, the pain is also what's been offered to us and preached to us as something to live for is comfort. This kind of self-centered security. The pandemic hasn't been terrible for some people. In fact, if you've been able to just work from home and like stay safe and secluded, chances are you've been able to work in comfortable new ways. You're safer and financially, like you don't got to drive to work. You're saving money. The economy has been deflated, saving money. Um, 
Investments have skyrocketed if you've been able to ride the stock market and other investments. Comfort has been possible as much as the last two years have been painful and scary. And so maybe it's not so much the, the fear and the visceral reality of, of fear and pain as it is just kind of the comfort and the pride of like, I have, I have my life under control. I think there's an example in this that will be very helpful for us because none of those options that the world can try and convince us of will give you life. Obviously, pain and fear are miserable, but even comfort becomes this realization once you get to where you thought you'd be comfortable and like, okay, you realize you're still not satisfied. Because as humans, we weren't made for that. We weren't made for that. Real life is found in self-giving love. Real life is found in self-giving love. And that's what Paul is trying to convince the Corinthians of. They were a well-off community. They had finances. They were, they were very gifted people. Corinth was actually at some points in history more prominent than Athens. This was like a metropolis. And so similar to us living in Westwood in Los Angeles, we're coming together and like, we have some stuff going on. How do we use that in self-giving love? And how can, here's the scarier question. I think we all, if you're a Christian, you kind of realize self-giving love is what we're called to. What does it take to become the kind of person that finds and experiences joy in self-giving love? Do you actually want to do that? Look with me at this passage. In the first paragraph, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul brings up um, another group of people. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So like northern, north of, of where Corinth is. Macedonia, the book of Philippians was written to a church in Macedonia. So Paul points in trying to convince the Corinthians uh, to give financially and to be sacrificial to the church in Macedonia. And it's, he uses peculiar logic. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Paul brings together two things, and he says, in a severe test of affliction, affliction does not sound uh, enjoyable, their extreme poverty came together with an abundance of joy and produced a wealth of generosity. Those things should not go together, right? No one among us probably would be convinced uh, if you're impoverished to give more, right? We might actually find it irresponsible to invite poor people to give towards something. But Paul wasn't doing that. If you read on, says that for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. They were canceling their Netflix subscriptions, their cell phone plans, to give beyond so that they could create a financial opportunity to give away. They were fasting a meal so that they could give to this need in Jerusalem. And here's the thing, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, this poor church communicates with Paul and says, we want to give. 
We want to like create margin so that we can give. So, um, and Paul goes on later, we're not going to go over it in the letter, and he says, Welcome, guys, you can come on in if you want. Okay. <laughs> um, Paul said, Amen, you too. Um, Paul goes on later to say, We didn't seek to like convince them of this. You know, a lot of times the prosperity gospel, if you've heard of this, tries to convince poor people to give, promising that God will give them more money in return. This weird, um, heretical teaching that says if you give, then you'll get more, holding out wealth to get people to give what little they have. That's not what Paul is saying here. There's something else that clicked for the Macedonians. And it's in this next sentence, or not this next sentence. Um, it is in, look with me at... Uh, they gave, you see this, uh, for the favor and taking part of the relief of the saints. And then there's a dash. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's an equation there that led to their abundance of joy. And I think there's an equation here for us as we look ahead to the new year to see what we too have access to, that we could actually become the kind of people who see the giving of Jesus at Christmas and through Advent was to help us see that the world is upside down. That the way toward joy is not in response to our fears and striving for control. It's not the avoidance of pain. It's not even in finding our own comfort but it's in the example that Jesus has laid for us. As people made in the image of God, we're going to find joy and life in giving what we have been entrusted by God for the sake of others. First, giving ourselves to God. So that's what Paul says. They, the Macedonians gave themselves first to God. We will never find life-giving joy in sacrificial love unless first we've given ourselves to the one who gave himself in love for us. So my first question simply as we look ahead to a new year and we reflect back on an old one is have you given yourself to the God who loves you? Have you given yourself to the one who gave you his most precious gift in his son? And if you say yes, of course I have. I'm a Christian. I've trusted in Jesus. Are there areas of your life where maybe you've started to pull it back a little bit? Right? We, we constantly are seeing new areas of our life where we pull back. It might be in finances and like security. It might be in um, our experience of pain and not being vulnerable and open before God about it and trying to just ignore it before God and before others. It might be clinging on to comfort and not wanting to, to be open to a lack of comfort in allowing God to love us. But in verse 9, the next verse, I realize you don't have, you don't have verses on here. Um, Paul tells us of the one who loved us. Um, I say this not as a command. Oh, sorry, we're going to skip down to the next paragraph. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For, look here with me, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that 
Though he was rich, speaking of Jesus' eternal existence as the Son of God, he had everything at his disposal, all the comfort and glory of being God from eternity past. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, Corinthians, Commons LA, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the gospel in a nutshell and presented from a perspective that might be a little surprising to us. Normally we think about the moral capacity or, or offer of the gospel, which is we have sinned and fallen short and Jesus came to die on the cross for us so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be cleansed and given his righteousness. But Paul doesn't go there in this specific case. That's true. Paul, this is puzzling. If, if we don't examine it. Jesus, Paul says, when, when this eternal son took on human flesh and became Jesus in the flesh, he became poor. She's amening. That's what she's doing. Yes, she is. So there's something about Jesus becoming or the Son, becoming human in Jesus Christ that made him poor. Now what we can't do is think that he, he gave up all of his riches. That would be a misconception about Jesus losing his divinity in order to take on humanity. Jesus still was rich in his divinity and his access to God the Father, but he took on the poverty of human experience, and more than that, the lowest human experience being a homeless rabbi so that through him becoming poor we could become rich. Amen. Amen. We'll make it through. We'll make it through. Right, Adelaide? Yeah? The reason that this is so important is because if we don't get that, we won't get Christian life. Okay? The Christian life is not calling us to love in a way that makes us only poor. We will constantly begrudge it if we think, give yourself freely in love for others, become poor and miserable so that others can benefit, and then eventually you get paid back by God in heaven. That would be Jesus taking on poverty in a way that removed his riches like he was miserable as a human. But we know from scripture that he was he had joy set before him. Okay? So it can't mean that. Here's what I want us to see. As we give ourselves and trust ourselves to God, and with open hands and say, my life is yours, do with me as you will. Yes, there is self-denial involved, but it's the kind of self-denial that, that entrusts ourselves to God saying, I didn't know how to live a fulfilling human life. You do as my maker and savior. And I need to take you at your word if I'm going to find life and joy as you invite me to, and I'll be loving others in the process. That's what faith is. It's entrusting ourselves to say, your way's right. Not like a patronizing kind of way. But like, I need to know the riches that Jesus had, so I don't need all these riches to like run this rat race. 
and then I can give myself in love to others. So, whatever that area in your life where you might have said, yeah, I've, been tr I've trusted Jesus, but I'm, I'm holding this part back from God. I have abundance here, and I'm holding it back. What you need to see is that that's a decision that is countered to your joy. In Jesus, we see, he took on poverty, and he found life in the midst of that. So all the preaching that's going on to us in the world, be afraid, control your life. All you will do is reap anxiety the more you try and control. Pain, guard yourself from pain. Don't be vulnerable to pain and others. All that that will do is reap this kind of numb uh, lack of authenticity in your life. Like you won't be able to actually engage with the brokenness of the world. Uh, comfort, all you'll do is reap a lack of satisfaction. It's taking in the example of Jesus, embracing the idea of self-giving as the way of life, that we actually become rich. That's what grace is. Jesus gave us grace. Paul says here, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is not just forgiveness. Grace is the the giving of God himself to us. As we empty ourselves in this kind of self-giving love, we get more of God. As we empty ourselves, believe in Jesus, we get more of God. Okay? Grace is not just forgiveness. It's not just the moral side. If we just believe that, then we'll only try to love people because it's what's morally right. Not what makes us humanly rich. So, what in 2022, what abundance do we have right now? It might be money. Maybe we need to give a whole lot of money away. It might be time. Maybe we need to be intentional about giving away nights of the week that we've, like, guarded, thinking that, that like, streaming TV will make us happy. <laughs> and given that away to pursue others or to serve the needy. Uh, maybe it's talent. We can actually serve people and meet their needs. What abundance do we have? Because as we look ahead, that's where we're going to find life. And, and Paul brings this up. He says here, um, look down, for I do not. You see that? For I do not. It's on the right-hand side, bottom half of the second paragraph. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. And then he quotes a principle from the Old Testament. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So, as we give ourselves to God, he's going to call us to give ourselves to others. And he's actually going to work through that giving of ourselves to others and work through them to meet our needs in the future. You see that? The economy of grace in the church 
is one where God meets our needs mainly through others. So we not only need to trust God, which can be this mysterious, hyper-spiritual kind of vague, yeah, I'm sure God will take care of me in the future, we need to actually trust the church to be moved by God, by his spirit, to meet our needs. That's just like face value here. And we know it's God doing the providing because of the Old Testament verse that Paul quotes. Because this is not the same context. When Paul writes, as it is written, he's looking back to the Pentateuch when Israel is wandering in the wilderness. And it sa he says, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever had gathered little had no lack. When Israel is wandering in the wilderness after they're freed from slavery in Egypt, and they have no food, and they start grumbling, God brings along quail at the, at the dawn of every morning and covers, maybe it's at night, I forget, uh, but during the morning, covers the earth with manna, right? Chancellor, you've heard of the, the idea of manna, right? Provision. It was this bread that mysteriously was there after the dew left. That's miraculous provision. God will provide for his people. But it's peculiar because he doesn't say God will miraculously provide for you in unexpected ways. He says the church will provide for you and it's you can be confident in it, not because they love you so much, but because God loves you so much. God provided miraculously, now God still provides for us through the church. Now here's why that matters. We care about our city. We love our city. Jesus said they'll know that you're my disciples by the love you have for as we take up this principle, and I just want to encourage you guys, we, we've been doing it. I'm really encouraged by the generosity of our church. This is not like a rebukey kind of be generous in the future. It's more a keep going. Like, don't don't think like, okay, we checked off the generosity box. Now we can just live out what we want. Like, keep pressing into life. God will be faithful. He can't help but be faithful. Where we have abundance right now, please don't buy the narrative and the preaching in the world around us that we need to be afraid and control. We need to avoid pain and protect ourselves. We need to take up comfort and find meaning and satisfaction in it. Be comforted by the giving of Jesus and the access you have to life in him. You will find life as you give yourself away in Jesus' name. God staked his reputation on um, And let's watch what God will do in the new year through that self-giving love. Okay? The world will know that we are his disciples as we live generously. Okay? I want to read one uh, excerpt. We've, we've mentioned one published author among us, uh, Chris's book. We have another author who's published, uh, Brian Ellis. Yeah. Back there, yeah. Published a book called Surplus on this text. I basically just regurgitated everything that he said. <laughs> no. But um, he says this There are two ways that the Corinthians could have approached the possibility of someday being in need. Chances are it's going to come up for us even as we try and put together a plan to live more generously. But what if? But what if? Same thing for the Corinthians. On the one hand, they could have thought, here, we have more than we need. 
let's take the leftover and store it away until we might need it. Like, he doesn't write this, but savings. 401k. Not that those things are bad, but sometimes we view surplus primarily as storing away our acorns. They could have done that. But Paul suggests an alternate route. He says, here you have more than you need, Corinthians. Why not use it to help others who don't have enough? And then someday when you are in need, they may be able to help you. This is a strange possibility and frightening concept. Yet there is something beautiful about it because it foregrounds others' needs rather than our own. What if 2022 we found life in that kind of living because we experienced the joy that Jesus had? We experienced communion with him in the adventure of risk-taking, sacrificial life. God has staked his name on it, and I'm going to read this verse as we close. We're going to pray and uh, ask God to help us in this, and then we're going to take communion all together. This is what Paul says in Romans 8.32. This is about God. He who did not spare his own son. That's what we just remembered in the Incarnation but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let me read it one more time. Paul essentially says, if he gave you his most precious thing, how's he going to withhold money? How's he going to withhold energy? How's he going to withhold what you need in the moment? How's he going to withhold joy? How's he going to withhold peace? You read it again, it will be convinced by God's word. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? I want us to sit, just reflect 30 seconds or so on where our abundance is looking ahead. And also where our fear or comfort or pain might be, things that could uh, cause us to withhold. And then we're, we're going to pray out loud together. It's another beautiful aspect of being smaller. It's just trusting the Lord to pray and lead our prayers and be encouraged by what other people are going through, what other people are believing. And then we're going to take communion all at the same time after we're done praying um, as a representation of our unity in Jesus, okay? So let's sit for about 30 seconds or so and ask those two questions. Where's, where's abundance in my life that God's inviting me to give away? And what might cause me to withhold? Sisters, um, we can ask 
There's hope in asking before others, placing our trust in God to provide. Uh, maybe there's praise. But Lord, I confess before you a lack of diligence and finances. I feel like over the last year, um, it's been easy to coast. And maybe there's some abundance that we have that we haven't pressed into. Could you help me and, and Kate to just assess and look at that more closely? Um, could you help me? Help us? Praise you for your goodness and for your grace and provision. Let's pray as you feel led. God, you've been so good to me. You've shown me so much grace in my life, Lord. Thank you so much, God, for the grace that you give me, God. The abundance of grace, Lord. God, I just even confess, God, I don't have that same abundance of grace for others. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you help me now. Yep. Would, you, would you give me grace and mercy, Lord? Mm-hmm. Grace and mercy that you have shown me over and over as well. Would you help us not be afraid of having needs? Lord, would you help me to experience more joy and give more of myself away? Lord, I crave stability and consistency. Uh, I'm really afraid of changes, especially unexpected changes. I would you please show me how to only look for consistency and stability in you, uh, and not in other things. To us, the true riches of an upside down life in the eyes of the world that finds joy in giving away to others. I think about Jesus' words in Acts 20 that are recited there it's more blessed to give than to receive. That, that sounds like foolishness, my earthly years. It's 
more blessed, it's happier, it's more joyful to give away that you receive. Uh, help us believe that. Help us want to believe that. Lord, we thank you that you were faithful. We thank you for Jesus. Um, during this time, would you please meet us? And Holy Spirit, would you lead each one of us to see the glory of Jesus, the riches of the most satisfied man who has ever walked the face of the earth, who is also the most generous person who ever walked the face of the earth? And would you help us to become a little bit more like him? Would you help us in 2022 to be a church that is more like him, that we would be formed into his image more and more, that uh, the, the fearful world around us, the guarded from pain world around us, uh, the comfortable world around us would see a kind of life that they desire to get in on in listening to you and trusting you, Jesus. Um, and we can pour out revival in our city where people would find life in your name, Jesus, and discover the riches that you have offered to the whole world. Trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.